What's up, everybody? This is Stone Strengthman of the Stony Says Podcast and Stony Says Blog. Today, we have Ryan Punzalan, OG member of the Knicks wall. He's the GOAT. He took it from the bottom, and he built it all the way up. We talk about the Knicks. We talk about New York sports. We talk about baseball and quarantine basketball and everything else under the sun. Without further ado, this is Ryan Punzalan. All right. We are here with Ryan Punzalan formerly of the Knicks wall, little OG Knicks wall gang right here. We're uh, recording podcast number two for Stoney Says. I still have no idea what I'm doing, and it took us way too long how to figure out uh, Zoom and get mics working and being able to hear each other. But here we are. We got Ryan, OG Knicks wall. How you doing? Stone, what's going on, my man? Oh, I'm just surviving, figuring out this podcast and blogging a little bit, going to work. All We're on it. Just... We're on it together. We're on yeah. it together. We finally figured it out. <laughs> so how did you get involved with the Knicks wall when it first started? So it started off, um, I just basically wanted to write about the Knicks somehow. I, I went to school uh, in journalism. Uh, I was like, I don't know really what I wanted to do. Uh, I sort of saw as you know, my fandom as being Mets and Giants and Knicks. There wasn't really much going on in terms of the Giants at that time. Um, and then when I went to college, I figured, you know, there's this Knicks site that I see all the time on Twitter. It's called the Knicks Wall. Let me just, you know, shoot my shot and see if they have anything open for me to just start writing. Um, started talking to the guys on the, on the team back then, and it, they brought me on. And I started doing, like, one piece here, one piece there. Um, and then it sort of just died like all of a sudden, just because the Knicks also at that time sort of just fell apart. So it, they started off. Well, I think I forgot what season it was. It might've been like 2011, 2012. And then all of a sudden, like the team just evaporated. I still was on it because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I figured, Hey, let me just keep writing. Let me just keep doing whatever I need to do. And the owner at the time was like, hey, since you're the only one active, do you just want to take it? And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to say no. So it was at that time when I was like, all right, I don't know what I wanted to do with the site. I've never run a site before. I don't know how to do anything with you know, HTML and coding. I don't know how to change what the site looks like. I, I might just like hold this in my back pocket. It was the draft before, I mean, it was the draft of Chris Depps where I was like, okay, this guy might be the one that sort of like brings this team back from irrelevancy. And it was the night of the lottery or the night of the draft. And I'm like, I'm just searching on Twitter. Like, Hey, does anyone know how to do graphics? And one guy came, um, shout out, uh, Anthony Corbo. He was like, Hey, I could do graphics sort of. And it is from that point on that I started basically running this site the way that it's currently run now with the team that's currently there now. Um, and I just basically said, Hey, let's just write content that Knicks fans want to read. I, we don't care what, you know, the, the New York media, media has to say. We don't care what the national media has to say. You guys write what you want to see as a fan and just let's take it from there. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what we did. I was there for two years just running social. So I wasn't really writing anything, but, uh, when you read the articles that you can tell it's from a Knicks fan and it's from a logical Knicks fan. It's not one of those brainwashed people that like, Oh, James Dolan kind of sucks, but like, we're going to be fine. And then 
we have the false hope of every summer and we think we're going to be better the next year and we're not. And it just, it's an endless cycle. Time, time is a flat circle. Everything is not real and the Knicks suck. They probably will for a few more years, but we thought we had something last summer and we wrote a lot about the KD and Kyrie stuff and it just didn't ever come to fruition, but it is exactly what Knicks will or Knicks fans want to see and they want to read and they like the content. And then there's the people that hate it. They're always in the mentions and they're just like, you're an idiot. You're wrong. I hate you. This is the worst tweet of all time. That I got a lot of that during games and I was just miserable tweeting a lot of the time just because everyone's so angry and I couldn't help anything. <laughs> it was tough because even when they were so bad that we had to keep producing stuff, people will let us know that they don't want to see this kind of content. And as, as a person that was running the site, I, I had to tell myself it's okay to write content that people don't want to read or to, or to tell people to keep writing stuff that they don't, you know, that the fans don't want to read because you need to produce stuff from your point of view. And that was the only way that I felt like anyone was going to get Nick's stuff that wasn't like, Oh, the Knicks suck all the time kind of stuff. Like, yeah. I get it, but it is what it is. Yeah, because during games, during that 17-win season with Fisdale, when Chris Tapps was on the bench, and then we ended up trading him. It was later in the season. It was probably into March, beginning of April, one of the last games I probably tweeted that season. And you're just sitting there, and you're tweeting out, who was our point guard? I don't even – I just blocked it from my memory. I have no idea who our point guard was at the time. And it was just like – it was – Oh, it was a uh, Moody. Was it Shane Larkin? Kept, no, it was Moody. I kept calling him Poutier. <laughs> like, dude, he's not that bad. Like the beginning of the season. And then at the end of the season, they're like, bro, why are you even tweeting these highlights out? And I was like, oh, I got to put something out. I got to put, like, if we're going to score a bucket, I might as well just put it up there because we're only going to have like six in the second half. So we might as well just put all six up there. People hated it. But I think we did a, I mean, the Knicks wall is just great. Like they're rational Knicks fans. They put out the content that, they think other Knicks fans that are also somewhat rational would like to read, would like to see, watch, all that kind of stuff. And they just keep doing it, regardless of how bad the Knicks are. And I think that's what makes the Knicks wall great because it's got 25,000 followers now on Twitter or something stupid like that for a team that sucks and hasn't been good for years. And was the whole website was started while they were sucking. Like, it's not like when Melo came in 2013 and all that kind of stuff where we had playoff runs and we were winning 50 games. We're winning 17 games the last two years. Like, <laughs> they're really bad, and people love the content. It and that's that's what I like to go back to is like even when I first started, it yeah sure the Knicks were okay. They had a good you know winning season here and there, and then all of a sudden they didn't. And it's it's sort of from that that point on where you need to start thinking, how do we get people to our sites? We know the Knicks suck. We know everyone's going to talk about how the Knicks suck. But if we attack it in a different way, like, oh, actually the Knicks aren't that bad when you look at this because of this. And that leads to so much more conversation. And to me, having people talk about your article, it's much more important than just like, oh, here's a retweet or a like. Like if you can have people start commenting and start discussing that in that tweet or something, that that to me is is, is super important. And I feel like, we're sort of losing, you know, oh, let, let's just post this and that. But if there's no interaction that, that way, then there wasn't really a meaningful content, which is what I, I told everyone at the team back then was like, even if you don't see a retweet or a like, if people are talking about it, that's all that matters. Right, because the content 
if the content has comments and everything, that's what drives it back into other people's streams. And then you can see it on other websites and other yep. like Reddit and Bleacher Report and all that kind of stuff. It's got more comments. That's going to, what's going to go straight to the front of the page instead of the one that gets the most retweet. Yep. So I think we just had like the best writers, the intellectual, all that kind of stuff. And they had all the facts everything was spelled out in the writing. And then you had the good social team that would just make jokes and have fun and make memes and all that kind of stuff. Like Bailey, Kyle, Aaron, Sean, I know I'm missing a bunch of people, but we would just make jokes and say that the Knicks are bad. And it was just kind of a balance. So you had the balance on the social team, making fun of them and tweeting out jokes. And then you had all the intellectual stuff and all the facts and all the numbers and everything all into the articles and everything. And it just was a good mix. And I think that's why it does really well. It's interesting is because when the Knicks wall started like popping off, this was also the time where a lot of media publications started to pivot to video. And I told everyone, I was like, hey, you know, everyone's going to go to video, but we shouldn't just like put all our eggs in that basket. Let's continue to do what we've done well for the past couple of years. Let's write awesome content. Let's produce hilarious and like engaging things in social media. Let's keep doing our podcast like we've been doing. Once we do, if we have the time to do video, we'll do video. But let's not, you know, let's expand our catalog instead of just you know dumping everything into video and i and i i you know bias aside i think we did that well um i think every every section of the next fall did its job very effectively um and it shows that even now when it's a global pandemic going on you know they're still generating you know the likes and the, and the views and the retweets and the comments and, and, and all that stuff all right so we're gonna pivot here how did you become a Knicks, Giants, Mets fan? So I'm not from New York, and I'm only a Knicks fan out of the New York-based teams. So I don't understand the pan, like the, the dynamic where you pick like in between Jets and Giants and the dynamic between Yankees and uh, Mets. I know everyone picks the Knicks because no one's a Mets fan, and that's just stupid. But the football and the baseball teams, I don't understand how you pick. I have no idea. I guess if you're from Queens, you pick the Mets. But like I know a lot of – people from Queens that picked the Yankees. So I just, I just don't know. So will you explain that? So for a lot of it stems down from family and whoever your parents rooted for, whoever your grandparents rooted for. The standard, I want to say quote unquote, standard affiliation is if you're a Yankee fan for baseball, you're typically a Giants fan for football. And then Knicks is pretty much a given. Um, and then for hockey, you're a Rangers fan. So usually those are your three main affiliations. And then the other side is usually the people who hated the Yankees growing up or they were like Dodger fans growing up for baseball. Once the Yankees sort of over overtook the city, once they saw the Mets there, they're like, okay, we're going to be Met fans because, you know, screw the Yankees. And then they're going to, be Jeff fans because screw the Giants. Like we're tired of like all that team running the entire thing. And we're going to be Islander fans because we hate the city. So that sort of became your two branches of your standard uh, sports affiliation in New York, at least. So there are that two branches. And then you got like the devils and the, the bills who they don't really don't matter. <laughs> um, so how I became the sort of weird Mets giants, Ranger fan, I guess. Uh, my family growing up were uh, sort of Yankee fans, but they weren't really like big sports fans. Um, 
then when like my older cousin decided to get into sport, they realized like, oh, why are we rooting for like this big monstrous team that's been winning for so many years in the Yankees? Let's just love this team that's like in our backyard. Like let's let's just root for the Mets. So that's how I started rooting for the Mets. And Giants fandom sort of expanded and has been in our family for a long time. So we've never really, we, we don't really have Jet fans in our family. Um, so I just became a, Jet, uh, a Giant fan and I've been fortunate enough to see two Super Bowls at least. So that's how, that's how I became it. It's, it's weird. And you'll, if you talk to a lot more New Yorkers, you'll see like, it's also starting to get a lot more mixed than your standard, you know, two tree affiliation. So it's a very interesting topic in, in New York. Yeah, because it just doesn't make sense when we were in the it doesn't. Slack and we'd be in the football channel or whatever, and you'd have, like, Maggio is a Jets and – Big Jet fan. And he's a Jets and Yankees fan. Yep. And then uh, I think it was Mike Cortez was a Devils fan. Yep. But also a Jets fan. Yep. Like, it just – everyone was kind of more randomized than the normal two trees like you were talking about. Yeah, and it there, there's more of that now. Um, and you'll start to see it too with, uh, with the MLS, like you'll see a lot of people that are, if they're, if they're hardcore New York, uh, soccer fans, they're the rebels. And then you'll see like the new, new fresh blood, um, of influx of fans that are NYCFC fans. Hmm. Um, and that rivalry is like really good in terms of, you know, are you the old school fan or are you the new fan? Um, and sort of expands on the Giants and Jets and Mets and Yankees. So uh, what do you think about the whole Mets uh, ownership deal where you got the team bought and then backed out and all that kind of stuff? Are you pissed off? Are you upset? Are you sad? Are you just expecting it at this point? You're just numb kind of like Knicks fans are with everything that happens. Like as a, as a Met fan, I feel like I'm numb to everything, Um, but it sucks. We had, this guy come in and say, I'll buy this team for what is it? Two point something billion. It was a lot of money. <laughs> and then you get that press of like, Oh, you know, actually the, the will ponds want to keep S and Y and they want to do this and they want to do that. And I'm just like, you're just so used to it as a Met fan, you know, the past what, it's almost 29 years, I've had so many heartbreaks of, of Mets fandom that I just, you're, you're just used to it. Like it, it's not, it's not a Mets thing until something bad happens to the team. Right. Like you're just, you're just expected every, every year, whether it's injuries or, you know, playoff falls or like not making the playoffs or chokes or bad management or bad, you know, everything. You're just so used to it. And I think it's, it's a lovable thing about that community. I don't know about lovable actually, <laughs> that it's just, they're so, we're so pathetic because it's like, we're just so we just expect bad things to happen. So when, when that thing fell through and then the A-Rod thing and JLo thing fell through, it was like, you know what? I, I'm just going to be stuck with this terrible owner for as forever. And I'm never going to see happiness. Like teams that have new ownership go through that. It's just, it's just inevitable. Right. I feel like it's tough to be a New York fan because like a New York sports fan, because you have the biggest market, you have the marketability of, recruiting all the players from free agency and like the money and like endless money. It's just like money doesn't even matter up there. Like you can get anyone you want barring salary, salary cap and all that kind of stuff. And then it just, 
doesn't ever happen. Because, like, the Yankees didn't make the World Series at all last decade. The Mets lost in the World Series in 15. Unless you're the Wilpons because they don't have any money. That's true. I mean, they have money, but they don't have money. It says they have money, but they don't. I just feel like it's tough because I'm just spread out because I grew up in Alabama and I didn't have any sports teams other than the Dolphins handed down to me. Like, that's, that's the only one that was handed down to me. So I just kind of chose my own. And I don't know why I chose the Knicks, really. And Yeah, why did you choose the Knicks? All right, so I wrote a blog about it last week. It's on Stoney Says. Uh, but it's probably 2010, 2009. I can't remember. It was the summer. It was after the summer of Amari signing. My parents went up to New York for one of their anniversaries. And they went to the NBA store, the old NBA store, where they had, like, the balls with, yep. like, Shaq's hand and the cement yep. balls and all that kind of stuff. The really cool one because the new one really sucks. Sucks. Now. Yep. yep. Um, but they went to that, and then they bought me a whole bunch of stuff. Like, I got a Amari, like, the Amari Swingman jersey, the Adidas one, where it actually is, like, stitched in, unlike the new ones where it's kind of, like, ironed on, but it looks like it's yep. stitched in. Um, but that happened, and then they got me, like, a LeBron Heat jersey because I, I started watching basketball when I was – 2003, right after that draft. So LeBron, D-Wade, Mello. Always loved Mello. Always loved D-Wade. Always loved LeBron. So I just kind of player followed until that year. And then they got me the jersey. I was like, yeah, whatever. I like New York. I like orange and blue. Kind of works out. Because all my teams, not at that point, Astros weren't orange and blue. But old Astros were orange and blue. But it just kind of made sense at the time. And they were good for the first few years of my fandom. And now it's just been misery pretty much ever since like 2014. At least you were able to see some winning. Right. I, I didn't miss out on all the, the fun times in like elementary or like middle school and high school. But after that, it's been pretty terrible. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of fell ass backwards into being a Knicks fan. And now you're stuck with us for forever. Right. And I worked, uh, helped out with Knicks wall and all that kind of stuff. So, like, I'm just really cemented. It's not like I could change my fandom on Twitter or whatever. Like, I'm really stuck in this thing. So. But now, but now, if they ever do win, ever, right, it'll feel good. It will, because I'll be through all the terrible things. Because, like, the Dolphins right now look like they're on the come up. I think we got a coach. We have a quarterback. Things actually look like they're progressing in the right direction rather than just 8-8 eight and eight for my entire lifetime. Because my dad, he always tells me the Dan Marino stories and, like, this Monday night football game back in 1989 where Dan Marino threw for 600 yards and six touchdowns. I was like, I haven't seen a quarterback throw for, like, more than 300 yards in a game my entire lifetime. How did your dad get into Dolphin? So he was born in Miami. Uh, Lived there until he was about eight, and then he moved to Dallas. So I was born in Texas. So all my family, like extended family, second cousins, whatever, they're all kind of Texas Rangers fans. So when I was eight years old, I rebelled. And I was like, Jeff Bagwell's my favorite player. And it worked out because they were really good. So I was, I was a bandwagon back in 2004. But I was eight years old. Everyone's a bandwagon when you're eight years old. Was that Killer B season? Yeah, right? Yeah, 04, 05, those two years. So you had 04 was the Beltron year. Oh. Uh, yeah, and then we had just gotten Clemens and uh, Pettit and all them for 05. So. so it was really easy to be an Astros fan back then. Didn't make any sense to anyone other than me. But growing up in Alabama, everyone's a Braves fan. You're a Braves fan or a Titans fan and a Falcons fan. Like those are your three teams. Like those are the only ones you have to choose from. So we don't That's have interesting. And then basketball, I guess you're a Hawks or a Grizzlies fan. So it's, it's the Tennessee and Atlanta sports teams that everyone chose from where I'm from. So you either have that or obviously your college or high school football. Yeah. So everyone's an Auburn and Alabama fan. So I, I started hearing about that probably in third grade. 
went to a new school and everyone's like, so you know Auburn or Alabama fan? I'm like, I, I, I don't care, dude. Like, <laughs> like I, I watch the Dolphins on Sunday. It doesn't matter where the players come from. Like, Dolphins on Sunday, that's it. We used to do chores on Saturday. Like, we didn't watch college football when I was growing up for a little bit. And then once the chores were done, you'd turn on the big game at, like, 2.30 or the night game, whatever. But I ended up being a Gators fan because my grandpa was a Gators fan because he lived in Gainesville for, like, a year in the 60s or something and picked them up. I don't really know. So I, I got to be a fan during the Tim Tebow and the good basketball era with uh, Joakim Noah and Corey Brewer and all them. David Lee? Yeah. I mean – Florida was a really fun time, like middle school through high school, and then kind of got really bad when I got to college. And then I transferred to Mississippi State, so now Florida fandom's gone, and I'm with another perpetual team that's never going to win anything in any sport because they're in Mississippi, and even when they're good, they still have a heartbreaking way to lose in a championship game, i.e. the uh, two Final Four teams that went to the national championship, the women's basketball team, lost on a buzzer beater, beat the, like, 106 106- – straight wins UConn team in the final four and then still lose a national championship. Like we're not, we're never going to win national championship ever in any sport. It's never going to happen. I'm just not, never going to get my hopes up. See, now, now you, now you know how it feels to be a Mets fan. Well, I thought about that for the dolphins too. And now I'm <laughs> really hopeful because Brian Flores to a tongue of the low. Like I, I got some hope. I don't know how far that hope's going to take me, but it's there. It's definitely there. And then the Astros won a World Series, so that was pretty cool. It still counts. Don't I don't. You're not a Yankee fan, so it doesn't really. Not matter. a Yankee fan. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> yeah, Yankee fans. They really got after me when that uh, old scandal came out. I was like, I didn't play for them. I didn't condone the cheating. I was just there, I was just watching. I'm just, I'm just a fan of a baseball team. Leave me alone. Oh, I was walking out of swim practice this past week. I had the Astros 2017 World Champions uh, sweatshirt on after practice. Put it on. My coach was, he was like. So is your sweatshirt a little stained or tainted at all? And I was like, no, it actually feels really good to wear. It's better than ever. Better than ever. Because people look at you so weird after that happened. I would wear my Astro stuff like every day to school at Mississippi State and just walk in the campus and people would just death stare at me. I was like, we're from Mississippi. What are you, a Braves fan? A Yankee fan? Because you liked Jeter when you were growing up? That's usually how it happened down south. You're either a Braves fan or a Yankee fan. That's fascinating to me. I, I wouldn't think that would be the case that down I'm, south. I'm 24, so I was born in 96. Jeter started in 95. So when you're growing up, you see prime Derek Jeter or you see prime Big Poppy. So, like, those two teams, and they're the biggest market. And when you grow up in Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, like, you don't have a baseball team. You got the Braves. Yeah. They're in Georgia. But if you don't really like Georgia, then you kind of find a new team. So that's usually, And they're on the East Coast, so you're able to watch them. It's just easy for people to choose that, and I hate all of them. I hate every single one of those people. But that's that's that. Uh, what are your favorite Knicks moments? Oh boy. Um. Jesus, that's deep. I want to say, for me personally, it was Linsanity. Um, simply because. As an Asian American growing up, there wasn't anyone that looked remotely like me on the court of a basketball team. So when I was in Boston uh, for college, that's when Linsanity happened. And being a part of a student organization, that, like a Filipino student organization at the time, 
it became an event. It became something that, yo, there's a Nick game. Let's, let's go to this person's apartment and, and put it up and just start seeing him drop buckets and drop dimes. And, and it became a special moment for me because I was like, holy crap, there's this kid out there. Like he just ran around the Lakers. He just dropped the buzzer beater against the Raptors. Like he's doing this like easily. Like I, I, I never seen anything like it. And to me like that, what is it? Two weeks was probably the most special Knicks time before, you know, even got Chris Stapps and before we got RJ and all that stuff. Like that will always cement like the, the Knicks era for me, besides like Melo and, and Amari, just having that personal connection of seeing like, holy crap, all these, all these people in, in the crowd are cheering this one guy on who looks nothing like anyone else on any other basketball team. And that's like, special to me and and that's what i always hold true to my heart and and, and true, true to like my Knicks core is is just seeing him perform that way for that short amount of time and just seeing the entire like nba like explode over it like that that would be a, a crazy 30 for 30 if espn ever decides to do it just because you can have so many people talk about that moment yeah i mean for someone that doesn't look like Jeremy Lin or pretty much anyone else really on the basketball court. There's the, usually the tall seven foot one, like white guys, but they're usually not American either. They're usually like from Europe, like Chris Apps. but yeah, that Jeremy Lin two weeks, the Lin sanity was just nuts and it was nuts for everyone. It wasn't just like one specific group that really enjoyed watching those. Like the Knicks were must watch TV for two weeks with Lin sanity and he was in the buzzer beaters, the step backs, all that kind of stupid stuff. It was awesome. And it was awesome for everyone. And that's what's really cool about that moment. And that probably is like the defining moment of last decade was the yeah. last two weeks. Because, I mean, you had Melo drop like 62 points, whatever it was. And like that was really cool, the, the garden record. And they went to the playoffs, but they didn't go too far into it. So it was just like the Lin Sanity regular season, two weeks. That's the defining moment of the 2010s for the Knicks. And that's what sucks because <laughs> – they have all the money in the world. Like they can get anyone they want. They have the market, but they have a crappy owner and none of the players want to play for them. But that's the Knicks. That's how we are. That's who we are as people. We're just stuck. Um, so during quarantine, we haven't had any sports, but over the last week or two that we've been getting reports about NBA and MLB coming back, how they're going to drop the regular season, how they're going to go straight into the playoffs at Disney world or Vegas or whatever the heck the NBA is going to do. I have no idea. What do you think about that? I am on the side of – okay. So, I at first, I was on the side of this is stupid. Just end the season. Like, let, you know, your players train up for, for the next season and all that stuff. Um, and then I thought about it even a little bit more and more. And, and I thought, you know, if you guys want to do the playoffs now, that's fine. I mean, this was around this, when they started talking about when they were going to resume. It was going to be July, end of July, beginning of August. I thought to myself, oh, that's when the Olympics was going to happen anyway. You were going to have NBA players playing around this time anyway. So that's perfectly fine. I, obviously, the pool of talent is much larger in the Olympics and not as much NBA players playing that during that time. But you can sort of use that as a, you know, comparison of like okay if you're gonna play fine it, it, you're gonna play anyway so cutting regular season you're gonna have to in in my opinion 
there's just too many teams that they're going to try to squeeze into. I don't even know how many games they're going to try to play. If they do that group stage thing, like the World Cup, that would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, I feel like now if they're going to do it, that's the perfect time. And just, I don't want to see Nick's basketball. Like it's going to be bad. I'd rather see like good, like basketball during this time, especially since it's going to be such limited time. Yeah. That was one of the things that stuck out to me when no sports hit. I was like, no Knicks. I don't have to tweet Knicks games right now. Like I could just chill and not have to be miserable every other night or whatever when we're watching Knicks games. I think we only had like six games left maybe. I think every team had like in between four and seven games or something left. So it wasn't yeah, a whole lot that's of right. games left. But when that happened, I was just like, thank God I don't have to watch Knicks basketball again because it was getting to the point where it was just like, I don't even want to watch because they're not playing the kids. And when they do play the kids, they play the kids for like 10 minutes and then they don't play again the rest of the night. I just wanted to watch Frank, RJ, and Mitch. Like, that's all I wanted to watch, really. You know what's funny about that? I was talking with my friends the other day about it, and we totally forgot what happened with the Knicks this year. Like, I don't remember anything. No. Like, like nothing. Nothing was remotely memorable about the Knicks this year. Nothing. I, rem- I remember Mitchell Robinson was, like, leading the league in field goal percentage blocks, defensive, like, plus minus. I don't really know. He was leading a lot of categories, but he was playing, like, 16 minutes a night. I was like, what are we doing here? And then RJ – had his moments kind of he looked somewhat good some days and then he looked really bad the other days i remember kevin knox is, forgot how to play basketball um frank neil Aquina had a few games he did some oh, right. and some dunks yeah that's i mean that was just the, and then we fired a coach who won 20 something or he won 17 games basically over two years like a year and a Wait, half. Fisdale was still our coach at the beginning of the season? He was. I think wow, so. Wow. I, I totally think, forgot about that. Because he made it. Uh, it, was de- it was the beginning of December when they had the two, like, 50-point losses. Once, like, the Bucks and one of the Sixers or whatever, 40, 50-point losses. And I remember doing a Stony Says video after that. And I was just like, this is it. I, I can't watch basketball again. I don't want to watch. I didn't watch for two weeks, I don't think. I was just like, look, someone else take the game. I can't tweet it. I'll be miserable. I didn't watch any basketball. I didn't even watch good basketball. I was just like, I can't watch this anymore. I was so mad. And I forgot Fisdale was our coach this season. It was like, we started the season off and we won like two games pretty early on. We're like, okay, not bad, not bad. And then we just didn't win a game for a while. And everyone was like, all right, that's it. We got to fire him. And then the first 40 point loss happened and we were like, okay, you've got to be fired, right? And then I think the next week is with the second Bucks, like 45 point loss. And we're like, there's no way he makes it to practice tomorrow. And then sure enough, he coached practice the next morning. Yep. And then got I fired right after that. So that's And then the- everyone was like, what's the point of him practice, like coaching practice if he didn't get fired anyway? Just fire him on the tarmac like they did Lane Kiffin. Like, I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter. But, yeah, so that's, that's the Knicks <laughs> in a nutshell. And we got stuck with that. Um, in baseball, baseball might be coming back in their own stadiums, which will be – Interesting. With no fans, it'll be like that 2014 game, I believe, in Baltimore during those yep. riots when there was just the White no Sox. The, yep. There was no one in the stadium. It was really cool to watch, but also really terrifying to watch. It was like haunted because there's no fans, there's no noise. It's just the players and the crack of the bat and the mitt and all that kind of stuff. So, if baseball comes back, would you like to see Tim Tebow on the Knicks or the Mets? <laughs> Next question. 
Okay. Um, do you have expectations for a shortened season with the Mets? Do you think you can make the playoffs? Because y'all did make a really good push last year. I think you missed it by a game or two, but uh, for the wild, the last wild card spot. But yeah, the Braves took that spot, I believe. Or no, the Nationals the did. Yeah. Um, in a shortened season, if you ask me, like two or three months ago, I said yes, and then Noah Syndergaard had a tear of its UCL. So now I say no. Um, losing Zach Wheeler in the offseason hurt. Um, now losing Noah Syndergaard hurt. So your rotation is basically DeGrom, Strowman. Another DeGrom, yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah, Matt's. And then you have freaking Michael Waka. And, yeah, like you don't have enough depth to – to really lead, you know, the, the rotation to a playoff spot. I, I think their offense is going to be great. It, they never had issues with their offense. It was always about bullpen and always about starting pitching. Um, and now that you lose your flamethrower, I don't really know if there's enough in the tank to, to squeeze by. Um, then again, you never know. It, it, that's the thing about baseball. Like, no one thought the Nets were going to win last year, and all of a sudden they, they won. Um, sorry. Yeah. And uh, then, uh, no one thought the Nats were going to win the world series either. And they ended yep. up winning all four games in Houston. So yeah, weird things happen in baseball, but it it's going to be interesting. Cause did they even say if, when it would come back? So the original plan I believe was like July 4th weekend to resume play. And they were going to start spring training this upcoming week, I guess. And then the deal was offered and the players were like, what the fuck do you oh, right. doing? So the MLPA and uh, the MLB, the owners or whatever, they're still in negotiations. So I would assume mid to late July, if they can get a deal done in like the next week or so. But I don't think that's going to happen because the owners being really greedy and there is no baseball without the players. And I think the payment, like the lowest paid per people, like the $536,000 uh, a year or whatever, they're getting half of what they make. And then the people that are making like $30 million make like $7 million, which is like way less than what they're supposed to get, like ratio wise. And then the owners just didn't pay them the money that they got fronted from the MLB, like the $170 million that went out to all the owners. The owners just kept it and didn't give it to the players. So the players are like, we're not playing until you pay us. Like, And I agree with that. They should. They should hold out because this is an owner's problem, not a player's problem. And the media is making it look like a player's problem. It that if if you've seen some of the the tweets about it, it it's it's rough. Like a lot of the people that are like, oh no, you know, they should just play anyway. Like they should think about the people that are wanted to watch the, the baseball games happen. Yeah, man, nah, not for that. Yeah, I I just the players are getting screwed, which sucks. And I really baseball is probably my favorite time to watch sports, just because there's nothing else going on. You can put it on. You can be on Twitter the whole time. You don't have to pay yep. attention the whole time. Nope. It's just nice and easy, three hours, four hours, and you just sit there on the couch for that long watching baseball, doing nothing else. It's easy. It's leisurely. Hey, we just go out, so, grab a beer, and just hang out. That's all oh, you yeah. need. Going to a ballpark so great. And I'm, I went to Mississippi State, so we had one of the better teams in the nation, and we had the best ballpark in the nation. And it, I worked for the uh, baseball and football teams there. Working for the baseball team was sick because – during the game, you don't do anything. You just watch the game. So you just find a random seat that's open in the ballpark. You sit down, get a hot dog, 
just sit there with a badge and just watch baseball is the best, but probably not going to get that. So nope. we're just going to sit here and without our sports and I'm just going to keep playing MLB the show and keep getting beat by 12 year olds that are way better than me. And that's, that's going to be my sports picks for a while. Can we talk about MLB the show for a second? Sure. what you got? Because I am very bad at the game, but I love playing the game anyway. Yes. Um, like I'll play diamond. I'll play diamond dynasty for like hours and I can't win against a person that's like, I can't play against other people because I get so frustrated when I play against like other human beings that I'm right. just like, I'd rather just rage quit than spend time honing my skills to be better than those 11 year olds that play this game. Like they're getting paid to play this game. Yeah. So I also played Diamond Dynasty and I went on a run one time. I was probably, I won like seven games in a row online. And it was the most majestic thing of all time. I was just like, I am the best at this game. And then like right after that, I got like 10 piece in the first inning and the game was over. Cause like it was mercy ruled. Like I just got destroyed online. And after that, I was like, that's okay. I had a run and sometimes that run ends, you know? And then I, I played another one and like the same thing happened like third inning. It was, it was over cause he mercy ruled me. So at that point I turned the PlayStation off and I prided myself in never rage quitting. And I think it was Wednesday or Thursday night. I played one game and I was perfect. Perfect. Every hit that I had was going directly at a fielder and it turned into an out. And I, I had like six or seven in a row and I was getting no hit through three innings. And I was just like, I have perfect, perfect almost every at bat here and nothing has fallen. And then he hits like a, very late okay and it turns into like a double and then he hits a he hits a late okay contact and it goes into the Crawford boxes in Houston I was just like what are we doing here what are we and then he, he kept bunting on me with this guy that had 99 speed and he would get on base every single time I was just like I don't know what to do I can't do anything and for the first time in my entire life I rage quit and it'll be the show in like the sixth inning because I couldn't get a hit and I was lining up the ball and he wasn't and he just had like six home runs I was just so mad, dude. I'd never rage quit before. And I tweeted it. I was like, I would like to update the log. I've rage quit for the first time in MLB The Show. So it is out there. And it was a terrible experience. But, yes, MLB The Show, very frustrating, but also extremely fun to play. So you play Road to the Show at all? Yes. Uh, that's what I used to play before this season. Like, all I did back then was just play Road to the Show, Road to the Show. Sometimes I'll play some franchise and just, you know, dabble in there. This season was the first time I had the time. What else am I going to do? Right. So let me check out Diamond Dynasty. And I played like a couple games against uh, online. And I was like, eh, this is fine. This is whatever. Then I found like moments. And then I found like Showdown. And I found Conquest. I was like, oh, this shit is off the hook. Yeah. And I was just like playing that all the time. So like it's become such a habit for me now. Like once I'm done with work, let me pop into Diamond Dynasty. Let me play a couple moments. Let me play a couple Conquest. And then, dude, done. Like, it's it just so, like, I don't need to think about a lot of stuff. I'm just like, hey, let me get my team up. Let me just hit these, you know, challenges. I'm good. Um, and now I just find myself trying to do more things with, like, different players and, like, I'm learning so much more about how to play the game because in Road to the Show, you're just so used to your your player's batting style, your your player's swing, your or your, your pitcher's, you know, uh, throwing mechanics so when you have to play as other players you just sort of like learn so much more about the game and that's the cool thing you see like you open packs and you're like 
I wonder if I'll get a diamond guy. And then you never get a diamond guy. And you're like, where's my diamond guy? And then eventually you get a diamond guy. You're like, oh my God, this is the best day ever. Because I pulled, I think one night I pulled Mookie Betts diamond and Justin Verlander diamond. And I was just like, I am a god at this game. Two packs, two diamond players. And then I opened up like 10 more packs after that because I won like something. And then it was just like all bronze players or no bronze players at all. And I was like, I I mean, I got two diamonds. And then I had a whole month where I just never got a diamond player. But that's how Diamond Dynasty goes, you know? I want a diamond player. I mean, I, I've gotten a few, but they were the ones that you get as, like, a reward. Right. So it wasn't, like, things you pull. Um, I think I pulled, like, one. I forgot who it was. Actually, I have it open. But I, I got to go through it because it was, like, I got one. I was like, oh, cool. I'm never going to use this player. Like, I'm never going to use this pitcher because I don't like pitching like this. But right, whatever. All right, I got one more question. Uh the Knicks wall made it onto MSG Networks for the off-season app, I believe is what it was. So we created – Ryan Gray created a – Shout out Ryan you. Gray, the He's brilliant the- mind behind everything that you love about the Knicks wall in terms of apps or design or whatever. That's Ryan Gray. He's an animal. But uh, he created the off-season app for last off-season when we were hopeful about Zion, Kyrie, KD. You just kind of ran through it as a simulator. It was really fun. It's what you do in 2K where you simulate the whole season. You hope for the best with the Knicks. And then it never goes your way, even in 2K. So that should have told us. And then doing the app like 20 different times to get Zion. Like we always got the fifth pick. We always took Cam Reddish. (laughs) But you get to go on MSG Networks and actually talk about it for five or so minutes, I believe, on that show. And what was that experience like? It was surreal. Um, I've... Growing up, I, I used to, I, I was an intern at MSNBC. Um, so I was used to being in a like green room or control room, like seeing all of the talent and being on set, quote unquote, and just being around that sort of stuff. So it, I'm, I was kind of used to it. I, I know how to feel when I'm in that sort of environment. But when you're the guest, it sort of switches your mindset like completely. So the second we got there, we were in like the green room and freaking Wally Zerbiak was just sitting there and we were just, you know, shooting the shit with him. Really nice guy. And then me, Kyle Maggio and Ryan Gray were just like sitting there for like another hour, an hour and a half, just watching the rest of the show be taped. And you're just like, what are we going to do? You know, how long is it going to be? We get on, we get on set. It, it takes us a couple of times to like get it right. Um, Eventually, we, we did get it, and it. I thought it, it went well. Obviously, we would have loved to be on set or be on camera a lot longer than it did, but just to be able to sit, you know, on set at MSG Network for, you know, the network that, that covers your favorite team to talk with some of the people that you see nightly on TV and to get the Knicks wall out there was such a rewarding experience. Um the amount of love and support that we got from our fans about that, I don't know, two minute appearance, like literally like there was more time on Wally Zerbiak and Swin Cash than there was on us like collectively. So to be able to like, just get all of those people sharing, retweeting and like talking about like, yo, we know those guys. Like we see those people be like, we communicate with those people all the time. Like that was super special. Obviously, we would have loved to have done more with MSG Networks, um, but the timing wasn't there. So hopefully, maybe in the near future, something will happen. But um, 
I would definitely love to just be on set again and just talk about Knicks with, with all of them again. Yeah, I mean, that was really cool. It was all over Twitter. I remember Kyle was telling me all about it before anyone else knew because I was his right-hand man for social media, and he was just like, don't say anything, but maybe this, this, and that. And then it ended up happening. Y'all got on set. Y'all got to display the coolest off-season app that anyone else has ever seen for Knicks fans. I mean, I don't know how many clicks it got, but I'm sure it was entirely too many. Like, it was just everyone was tweeting about it, regardless if they followed the Knicks ball or not. And that was the cool part. That was the crazy thing. Like, we had people from The Ringer reach out to us about it. We've had people from Barstool reach out to us about it. We've had people from, like, ESPN reach out about, like, yo, we, we're sharing your app in our Slack channels about this. And we're like, oh, that's freaking awesome. Like, yeah. uh, thanks. Like, we didn't <laughs> expect it to do that kind of numbers. We didn't expect that app to reach that many people. And when it did, we only heard like good things about it or like, Hey, can you try this? Or can you add this version like down the road? And we did. And it was just something that I was like, Whoa, if we can make an impact like that in NBA Twitter, then imagine the things we could do once the Knicks are actually good again. You know what I mean? So if the Knicks are that good and we have sort of that voice of, yeah, we're a sports fan blog, but if we could produce the things that like, multimedia companies are producing let's go for it man yeah it was so cool because i mean the knicks won 17 games that year now all they had was hope they had free agency and a hopeful number one draft pick and none of it worked out in our favor but when that app was up and running and you could press a button and just see what was happening all these knicks fans they got all the hope and they loved it they just ate it up and people that weren't knicks fans were using it and it was just all over the place it was so cool it was it was a really cool experience to see all of my friends on MSG networks and like we're actually on TV and then it was getting tweeted out by MSG networks and the whole video, the whole clip, everything. It was just a really cool experience for everyone in the Knicks wall, including those your three guys that were actually on set. It was like all of that hard work finally paid off to be recognized by, you know, the Knicks media company, basically. Right. So to be able to hear them say out loud, the Knicks wall, was so cool um and it's something that i was like oh crap we did something here like we actually did something here and i'm I'm so proud of what everyone's been doing up to that point and after that to be able to to get ourselves out there yeah so og nick's ball ryan punzalan uh do you have anything to plug uh wash your hands uh wear a mask uh that's it i don't have anything to plug keep keep reading uh stoney says keep reading the next wall um be nice to everyone and uh yeah thanks for having me man no problem man i appreciate it take care